0: All right. Oh. OK, uh, we're talking about what kind of thoughts are wholesome and what kind of thoughts are not wholesome and that basically we can say that the, the kind of designation that we're making. Uh, is is talking about discursive thoughts. Now, what I mean by discursive thoughts is an, uh, an internal discussion or an internal talking that uh, we humans do. And that uh, most of us spend most of our time in that kind of thinking. There are other kinds of thinking, and uh, we could go so far as to say that thinking is actually how do you spend a mind moment? Are you thinking? Are you uh, spending that mind moment observing? Are you spending that mind moment uh, sussing things out, investigating? Uh, Are you um, using that mind moment in the sense of feelings, feeling good or feeling bad? So we have observational thoughts, we have feeling thoughts, and then we have discursive thoughts. And it's the discursive thoughts, basically, is how we wind up in bad feelings, that we literally talk ourselves into feeling bad. Yeah. Okay, so any kind of discursive thought or any kind of talking thought that kind of talks you into feeling bad, that would be an unwholesome thought if we can catch them. So thoughts of this was a hard week or it was a bad week, that would naturally be an unwholesome thought. Now, uh, you could say, well, the, the bad feelings that I had all week was what gave me the idea to call it a bad week. Mm-hmm. But all that's going to do is to reinforce the bad feelings that gave that thought. And so it gets into a circle. And the more you talk about it being bad feeling or a bad week, then the better you feel, and then the more of a bad week it becomes. And so we have to get ourselves out of that habit pattern into a better pattern of mind. Now, this whole idea of changing the content of the mind from unwholesome to wholesome is a major major teaching of the buddha it is in fact uh one of the star ingredients i would say in the sense that this seems to be the the part that is missing in almost all of the western meditation uh, systems that have come. The two that I'm thinking, or actually three that I'm thinking about, would be Zen and the Mahasi out of the Theravada and the uh, Tibetan system. To where, with the Mahasi, they do just the noting. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. The noting. But in the old Mahasi literature and in the places where the students really look, they will find that. The noting needs to be done with a mind free from hindrances. Okay, so what they're talking about are the noting kind of thoughts, the observational kind of thoughts that are going to be tinged and laced with uh, the hindering kind of discursive thoughts. And that um, uh, this is where the students miss. is is that these hindering thoughts have to be removed, but we cannot remove the hindering thoughts and then just have observational or noting thoughts because the mind doesn't have a Mm brake, like like on a car. Just like a big ship does not have brakes. Did you know that? Yes. That Even uh, sailboats don't have a brake. Even canoes don't have a break. No boat has a break. And so if that big ship is heading towards another ship and they know that they're going to collide, there's no way. I mean, you can put it all uh, 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 full stern, which means to try to back up or, or slow the boat down. But that's not brakes. It's not going to stop it. A much better thing to do is for the wheelman to turn the wheel to head the boat off in a due direction so that it doesn't hit. Mm-hmm. right? Yeah. This is the way that the Buddha recommends that we do the mind is is that we bend the mind or incline the mind into wholesome discursive thoughts because the, uh, the average meditator is nowhere near being able to stop the mind. In fact, as long as there are hindrances there, they will follow on one after another after another. That if you can get the mind in the state to where you have one wholesome thought after another after another, then those wholesome thoughts then can begin to have gaps in them. But when the thought, uh, after the gap starts up, it goes back into a wholesome thought, which then can be worked with. But if you have a wholesome thought followed by a gap, followed by a wholesome thought, then that gap did you no good at all. Mm -hmm. Okay? So, we have to understand that a major part of the teachings of, of the Buddha has to do with actually changing the content of the mind. Changing the way that we think or the way that we talk to ourselves. Okay. So now, in our society, we have been trained in school, uh, and much of the society thinks in a critical way, yeah, uh, uh, critical in the sense of criticism, critical in the sense of defining this is good, this is better, and this is even better than that. It's built right into our language, in fact, good, better, and best. There they are. That's the comparisons, okay? And this is, in fact, what we would call critical mind. Well, guess what? Our whole society is built upon that critical mind. This house is good. That house is better. This little town is good. That city is better, okay? And so this is how we keep building and building and building through this critical mind. But when the individual person sits down, that habit of criticism, now he turns on himself, and he becomes internally critical. Mm-hmm. And we go around finding jobs to do. We go around giving ourselves instructions that this needs to be done, and that needs to be done, and you got to go do this, and you got to go do that. And that this is actually not peaceful at all. So uh, wholesome thoughts are going to be more, wh- more wholesome and peaceful than unwholesome, critical thoughts that give us work to do. So wholesome thoughts, nurturing thoughts, are nurturing would be the kind of thoughts after you've finished work. After you've done the work not not before you get the work done or doing the work that's the critical it's after we finish the work this is why the buddha talks about that the job is finished a job well done so we take delight or we take the pleasure in the fact that we've already finished the job Mm -hmm. what is the job that we're doing what was the job that needed to be done and that was the job of coming out of the critical thinking into nurturing thinking. That's the job to do. That's the only work there is. This is one's right effort. It's absolutely listed that way in the suttas, in the the Pali on the Eightfold Noble Path is right effort. What is right effort? One's right effort is to see wrong view as wrong view and right view as right view and take on right view and abandon wrong view. In that same regard, one's right effort is is to take on wholesome thoughts and to remove unwholesome thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. And those work right together, that wrong view would actually be unwholesome. And noble right view then would be always wholesome thoughts. Thoughts of friendship, not thoughts of competition. Thoughts of cooperation, not thoughts of um, uh, our community. So getting along. Now, when every child is born, not every child, but almost all children, when they are born, the mommy will take care of that tender young infant. She will nurture that child, give it food, put diapers on it. Uh, very happy when they see that first child after two or three days will take his first poop and they like it. But if that kid grows up to 15 or 20 years old and he takes a poop right there on the floor in the house, nobody, they're going to be very critical. They're not going to be nurturing because he took his first poop. Now they're going to be critical of it. And so this is basically what happens to us all is we start off in nurturing. And then the criticism starts up, never to be uh, revisiting then the nurturing. And this is what the Buddha has found. You know, we need to stop this critical thinking process So that we can start nurturing ourselves, to start giving ourselves good, wholesome, happy thoughts. Because if we do, then we can begin to control the way that we feel. Normally, we're really out of control of the way that we feel. But in fact, we really are because we feel the way that we think. And so if we're thinking unwholesome thoughts, we're going to have associated unwholesome feelings. Okay, so if you have thoughts of, oh, that's wonderful, i got to go get that, then all the thoughts that you have about getting it, oh, maybe I'll have to kill that guy to get it. Okay, and so you can see that because we want things, that's critical. Oh, I like it, it must be good. But when we recognize that, hey, wait a minute, I don't need it. I'm already okay. I don't have to take any efforts. Because generally when we want something that we don't have that gives us a sense of incompleteness, I would be better off with it. You understand that? Okay, if I want it, that means if I need it, means I really do. I'm incomplete. I'm not good enough. I'm not whole if I don't have that thing. Mm -hmm. But the reality is you already are whole. You're just fine whether you get it or not. And so... This is where we begin to recognize, oh, wanting things is unwholesome. Being satisfied with the way things are, that's wholesome. That, in fact, is one of the listed hindrances, is wanting things that we don't have. Wanting things. And so we, we start to practice being satisfied with what we have. How we can do that is by telling ourselves, hey, I really don't need that. Hey, I'm actually okay. Another way of looking at it is wholesome thoughts have to do with the reality of the situation and unwholesome thoughts is always about possibilities, probabilities, magical events, things that don't happen. Mm -hmm. An example right now is the room that you're in is fairly secure you don't have any alligators on the floor there are no mafia bosses there's not a gorilla in the room the no. police are not breaking down the door nobody's coming in with a SWAT team your mother-in-law is not yelling in your ear okay <laughs> but in fact everything is kind of safe the reality is is that right to now you're safe and yet many people in those times of reality will feel unsafe, right? So that feeling of being unsafe is actually an unwholesome feeling and it's not based in reality. It's based upon old fears that people get into the habit of being afraid. In fact, a way of talking about it is uh, scientifically is to talk of it in the sense of a false positive. In other words, there's a mechanism inside that generates and brings up fear. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't always work correctly. It has inputs, and then it's a mechanism. It turns its mechanism wheel, and it puts output, and the output that it puts out is fear. (laughs) Now, um, let us say 500,000, a million years ago, Uh, The planet Earth was a jungle. And humans did not feel safe. It was a dangerous jungle. Humans lived in danger. We could be uh, bitten by a snake or a scorpion or eaten by a lion at the drop of a hat. And so we needed that self-preservation mechanism, that system of fear, to wake us up, to get us to take action. That we may, uh, if it's a predator, we may need to run away. Or if it's a challenge, we may need to fight and defend ourselves. Mm -hmm. Right? And so that gives rise to this flight or fright syndrome. Well, guess what? Flight and fright have to do with chemicals in the body called adrenaline that we do associate with the feeling of fear that we actually literally become afraid and get ready for flight or fright when, in fact, we have no intention of having any fighting or any flighting, and yet we have all of these chemicals in the body ready to go for fight or flight, and there's nothing to be afraid of. So we need to start using wholesome thoughts right then and there to tell ourselves, wait a minute, there's no fear, nothing to be afraid of, everything's all right, and we can settle down that fear. Okay. We can actually do that not just with fear, but we can do that with any negative emotion. Anxiety. Students of uh, meditation will oftentimes report anxiety. And the answer to that, Well, what is anxiety if it's not fear? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anxiety is nothing but uh, that adrenaline that pumping up, that getting ready to go do something and there's no place to go. So this is how we begin to deal with you know, a me- negative emotion, um, n- emotional feelings is again with these good, happy, wholesome thoughts. Yes. But this, this is such an amazing uh, change. Everybody's quite surprised at it because they think that Uh, for instance, with the Mahasi or with the Vajrayana, that their business is to note and to look and to keep noting. But basically what they're noting is the unwholesome, but they don't even recognize it as unwholesome yet. They have not yet seen the danger in it. But if they do keep inspecting, if they do keep looking then they will hopefully eventually see that these are unwholesome thoughts, see the danger in it, and then the individual student, without being told by this by any teacher at all, will naturally start dropping those unwholesome thoughts. But this may be 20 years into a meditation practice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But if the Buddha is uh, followed... Then the students are taught about unwholesome thoughts right from the very beginning to start being on watch for these things, to begin to be on um, notice, to be on guard. So that we only allow wholesome thoughts in any time that we remember to. Okay, so being on guard means that we have to be a little bit of awake, have to be a little bit on alert so that we can be alert to these things. To start watching what we're thinking with the intention of being able to take control of those thoughts Mm -hmm. and to start changing what we're actually thinking. So in this regard, if we can change our thinking, then we can also change the way that we breathe and we can begin to make some changes in the body. If we can change the way that we're breathing and change some uh, things in the body, for instance, being able to uh, allow the adrenaline uh, to pass away, that we can come back to being in a state of relaxation, then that means that we can also begin to change or actually take control over the feelings. Now, this is a very important quality of the practice of the Dhamma, the one's right effort actually is to seize, to grab hold of, to jump on, to confront. These are words that are used by the old masters. The Buddha didn't use quite so strong language, but he certainly did indicate it with Anapanasati, that we actually have to seize the breath to control it, to make it a long breath. Because if we don't actually control it, then it'll go back to a more shallow breathing. And that more shallow breathing will then prevent the adrenaline, say, from being able to be breathed out. But if we're bringing long, deep in breaths with long, deep out breaths, then the pollution of the carbon dioxide and the buildup of the poisons in the bloodstream actually can be exhaled. And we can actually relax, really relax on that out breath, in the sense of, uh, and just relax, completely relax. Wow, nothing to do and no place to go. And so these are the kind of thoughts that we want to start having. Thoughts of the here now, thoughts of noting actually what is going on with us. To start paying attention to note what's going on, but we also note the, these thoughts with the intention of changing them, not just noting them. Maybe eventually, by noting them, I'll figure out that they're unwholesome and then begin to change them. No, we begin to be on alert that most of the thoughts are going to be hold, unwholesome right from the get-go, and so we should, right from the very beginning of practice, start being mindful of removing unwholesome thoughts. Mm-hmm. Okay, just like you can see with the precepts, we were talking about precepts a little bit ago, uh, that are wholesome, and you can see that in fact that uh, the the idea uh, in the Pali of musawada or right wrong speech, musawada we sakabadam samatiami. Surely you've heard that. Okay, that musawada actually has more complexity than most people realize because um, the uh, the wrong speech that we engage in in our lives when we're talking to other people, writing emails, posting on Reddit or any place like that. If our thoughts are unwholesome, then our speech will be unwholesome. Yeah. No. Because what are we going to talk about if not what we're thinking about? Then, in fact, the mind is the forerunner. Before we ever say anything, we think of it first. Mm-hmm. Okay? And um, uh, so, with that, we can recognize it all. Oh, right speech, then, actually starts to depend upon right thought. That right speech is yeah. a precept is uh, uh, has an underlying requirement. And yet a lot of people don't recognize that. And for that reason, then they don't see the unwholesome thoughts. Because they don't see the unwholesome thoughts, they don't understand that the speech that they're involved with is also uh, violating the precept. Because it fits under idle gossip or uh, harsh speech or malicious gossip or a direct lie or whatever like that. But if we feel really good, if we feel right on top of the world and we're very happy and content with what's going on, we have absolutely no reason to lie about it. Mm -hmm. But if we feel bad, if we feel malcontent, we may find all kinds of reasons to lie. We may lie by denial. Oh, I don't feel all of that great right now. No, I'll tell you, oh, I'm fine. When in fact, I'm not. I lie. Or... Worse than that, even though I feel safe uh point four, I'm going to lie and tell you that I feel bad at point 10. That things are absolutely terrible. They're a disaster. Wait a minute. Things are not a disaster. If mm-hmm. things were a disaster, you wouldn't even be on Skype. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. Okay. And so, this is a way for us, if we're going to have right speech, We have to start guarding how we think. Mm -hmm. And so if we write something, then it's a very good idea for us to reread it with the intention of finding any harsh or false speech in there and remove it. So that when we post things, we only post things in a friendly way to friends that we don't post in a critical way. To enemies or to unknown people that, wow, that person's dumb. He must be a Republican. He don't know what the hell he's talking about. And I'm going to straighten him out. You see how unwholesome is that? Why? Because you're automatically deciding that he's not your friend. Mm -hmm. If he were your friend, then you would operate differently. So this whole idea then of friendship is a way of looking at to define what is wholesome and what is not wholesome. If it's friendly, it's probably wholesome. If it's unfriendly, it's probably not. Yes. Okay, if it is wholesome, then it will fit in with the precept of right speech. And if it's unwholesome, it probably won't fit into the qualification of right speech. So, in fact, now that you're looking at it, it's not so hard to figure out after all, is it? No, (laughs) it's easy, actually, yeah. It's actually quite easy to begin to understand what is right speech or what is right thought. Now, at a more sophisticated level, for the meditator, any kind of thought about the past or the future is unwholesome. Why? Because in the past, we can find all kinds of things that were wrong. I mean, in the past, we were very critical. Therefore, most of our past is built in critical thinking. Therefore, if we think about the past, we're unlikely to be actually nostalgic. We're much more likely to figure out something that's broken or critical, or I uh, remember somebody that uh, did me bad, and now I'm thinking of revenge. Mm-hmm. Okay, So it's really, really good idea, according to the Buddha, to stay out of the past, because the past is dangerous. It's full of unwholesome stuff. But now we're making a change. We're actually deciding to no longer live by our old habit patterns or our old actions or our old comma. Now we're going to start making a change. Which means, um, literally, you're now going to be reborn into the Dhamma. And so anything that happened before the Dhamma happened to somebody else. It's not you. hmm But because you're being born in the Dhamma right now, that means that the future will be someone else, not you in this present moment. And so thoughts of the future, thoughts of work to do, thoughts of job to happen. Now, there's going to be a little bit of that. You can't stop it. But it really is a good idea to be aware of how much of it that you are doing because we often do the same thing in the mind over and over and over again before we actually do it. The example I normally use is going to the bank. For some reason, the guy's got to go to the bank. But, th- but he knows that he doesn't have to go to the bank until after the deposit is made. Once the deposit is made, now he has to go to the bank to change accounts or do this, that, and the other thing. And he knows the money's going to de- be deposited on a certain day of the month. Therefore, he doesn't have to think about it at all until that day. And yet every 10 or 20 minutes, he'll think about, oh, I've got to go to the bank. And then he doesn't go to the bank. Oh, I've got to go to the bank and I don't go to the bank. And then, oh, I got to go to the bank and then I don't go to the bank. You can begin to see how unwholesome and unpeaceful that repetitive thought is of something in the future that we ha- that we're not doing. Mm-hmm. and yeah. so thoughts about the job thoughts about work when you're at home don't think about the work when you're at work don't think about being at home when, you, when you're here be here and mm-hmm. that's wholesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay so thoughts of the past thoughts of the future another one that we've talked about is uh, wanting things that we don't have Another one would, we we would call restlessness or worry, which actually is basically thoughts of the past. When you're worried, how can you be worried about this present moment? No, you're worried about is it happening or will it happen or did it happen? That's what, you know, so we don't get uh, too much involved with worry when we can see what's happening right in front of us. We always, when we get worried, is because we're worried about did it happen or not or will it happen or not past and future Mm -hmm. so think then of the these thoughts of worry these thoughts of uh, uh, needing to get the job done these are all hindrances to being happy content and in a state of pleasure right this very moment yes okay this is how we begin then to practice is to start watching the kind of thoughts that we have and, and begin to change those thoughts. And so um, <clears throat> the Buddha not only talks about a wholesome versus unwholesome thoughts in uh, various suttas and also talking about the removal of the hindrances in various suttas. It's actually in the Anapanasati Sutta where he makes it quite positive in the sense he calls it gladdening the mind. Now, when we say gladdening the mind, we can also mean by perking up the mind or brightening the mind, mm-hmm. unburdening the mind, letting the mind be uh, free and bright because we are removing the hindrances and putting something in it in place instead. Okay. Yes. And so, uh, uh, taking out the heavy dirt. And in replacing it with something light and airy-fairy and breezy, something funny, lightweight. Uh, so many, many advanced meditators love to tell jokes. Because jokes always lighten things up. Even if uh, the the, uh, the subject is serious, we can always find a way of lightening it up. Yes. By uh, bringing something cute and interesting into it. This is the way that we've uh, practiced it's by gladdening the mind perking it up and with that we begin to talk ourselves with these wholesome thoughts of gladdening and perking up we begin to change the way we feel mm-hmm. okay so the way that we usually feel are the ways that we feel uh, in in critical critical mind state Okay, wanting things that we don't have, wanting things that we like because we made a decision in our critical mind. I like this. I don't like that, which means now I want to keep that or get it and not like that. And I want to get rid of it. But with nurturing thoughts, the nurturing is not concerned with this or that being good or bad. But rather the nurturing part is I feel really good about it. Everything is okay. Everything is fine. I can relax, and in that state, we can invite in safety and security because it's the unwholesome thoughts that will lead to fear so if we are no longer having thoughts that lead to fear things that could possibly go wrong in the past or in the future and just be here now where nothing is going wrong in this present moment Mm -hmm. we could be Uh, In a state of safety and security, everything's all right, everything is fine, no place to go, nothing to do, and I can take a deep breath and relax. (sighs) Okay, and that brings on a sense of well-being, a sense of pleasure, a sense of um, safety, security, comfortable, and satisfying. This is an important word, satisfying or satisfactory. Why? Because actually the Pali word that we're looking at is the Pali word of suka. Sukha is a skill to be developed. Now, suka is actually just exactly opposite of the word dukkha, which is defined in our case as being dissatisfied, being uncomfortable with it being critical of it, right? So now we're going to come out of a state of dukkha that was brought on by critical thinking into a state of satisfaction or sukha that was brought on by um, wholesome, nurturing, uh, everything is okay, congratulatory even. Wow, I could do this. I can clean out my mind. (laughs) Now, that's a brightening thought. Wow, I feel really good. I don't have to think about that at all anymore. Or another way of saying it. Aha, I see you, Myra. That's, in fact, the word that the Buddha used. Aha, I see you. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so by talking to ourselves like this, we actually are able to put ourselves into a state of pleasure, into a state of sukha, into a state of being free from Uh, Dukkha, this is in fact third noble truth and we can literally talk ourselves out of the first and second noble truth into the third noble truth within a minute or so. Just by changing the thoughts that we have from unwholesome thoughts to wholesome thoughts and by doing so we remove the ignorance about those unwholesome thoughts and we begin to have wholesome thoughts wisely. Also, without the ignorance, then, that means that we're no longer in that critical mind of liking and not liking or wanting this and wanting to get rid of that. And these are the actual forms of the second noble truth. But with wisdom, we're giving ourselves happy thoughts. We come out of that cause of suffering into freedom from that suffering. This is Sukha, the state of Sukha. When you can actually tell yourself, wow, this is so great. I don't have any problems now. There is no dukkha. Wow, freedom from dukkha completely in this moment. Yes. Yeah, being in that third noble truth, that's really great to actually be in that state. And how do we do that is by gladdening the mind, brightening the mind, bringing up the mind and we keep practicing that over and over and over again until we can get ourselves into this state of sukha, which has the qualities of contentment, everything is okay, safety and security, no dangers, nothing is dangerous, everything is wholesome, no problems anywhere, okay. And also satisfaction. That satisfaction means freedom now from suffering. There is nothing in this moment that is unsatisfying. Everything is satisfactory. Everything is satisfying. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, we have actually been fully practicing three of the items on the Eightfold Noble Path that is, one's right view, right sati to remember to keep looking. Sati, to remember, right view, to keep looking, and then taking the effort to remove those unwholesome thoughts and put in wholesome thoughts. (laughs) By doing that over and over again, we begin to get successful. And these three, three things run and circle around each other, right view, right effort, and right Sati. Over and over and over again, bringing up and building up that wholesome play by, because we're taking the right uh, action or the right effort to change the thoughts into wholesome thoughts. Once we do that and and we can see that we can do it, now we add an additional item of the Eightfold Noble Path and that is Sama Sankapa in the Pali or right attitude or a right new way of thinking. And that right new way of thinking is, in fact, we could call that the winner or the uh, champion or the lion, because before that, because of the way that we were born and raised, that every child is born a victim. It needs help. It can't put on its own diaper feed itself uh, when uh, when it's very young. It needs to be taken to school. He can't even get to school by himself. He has to be on a bus or somebody's got to take him or whatever like that. And so we want, we start off dependent. And that dependency means that now we're a victim of that dependency. And so we grow up with that mentality. This is why we will have the words, it was a bad week. Why? That means that I feel like I'm a victim to this bad week. Not on top of it, Mm -hmm. right? But if we have right attitude, then that right attitude is going to be the attitude of of the champion. Hey, I can handle that week. Yeah, that week had a lot of stuff in it, but we did just fine. Everything is okay. Mm -hmm. We got through that week and we didn't even die. (laughs) Yes. So you see how we're changing the attitude. Yeah. And, when, and once we change that attitude, then we can change that attitude from being in danger, the attitude of being uh, uh, dependent or uh, being a victim and therefore in a dangerous place, into the attitude of, this is okay, no problems here. I handled the last minute very well, we can handle the next minute very well, we can handle the minute after that very well. One minute at a time success. One success after another success after another success. So now we've added a new word success. Before we just felt satisfied but over time we built we add that new ingredient is I'm successful now at feeling satisfied. Yes. This is all the practice of Anapanasati. If you can get yourself into feeling like you're successful at being satisfied, what else do you want? What is this thing enlightenment? If not this, being completely satisfied, completely successful, everything is okay. All the burdens have dropped away. Mm -hmm. And this is a very noble-minded state. Because the speech is always quite good. Because the thoughts are quite good. In fact, because the mind is now noble, the precepts are automatically done. We don't have to think of it like that. Because if one is absolutely free from wanting anything, he doesn't want anything, then he's very unlikely to go kill somebody to get it. Mm -hmm. It's very unlikely for him to go steal it if he's very satisfied. It's unlikely for him to go trash-talking people if he's completely satisfied. The only time we trash-talk people is because we don't like something they did or said or might do. Mm -hmm. When we're completely satisfied with what people say, then we don't have any thoughts of trashing them. And so our speech becomes quite nice. No reason to lie, and so we tell the truth. Yes. So this is how the the Eightfold Noble Path begins. It begins with the idea of helping us to figure out what is wholesome and what is not wholesome. We begin to practice that and when we get the mind into a wholesome state, then these precepts happen automatically. Because Mm -hmm. the precepts were broken automatically out of unwholesome thought and unwholesome feelings. Yeah. I can see that. <laughs> Great. So this is how we practice. Is You don't have to uh, have a formal meditation practice uh, in the sense of the way that people normally think of it. But the one important ingredient is to get into seclusion, to get away from interruptions, because we will be interrupting our own mind enough even when we're in seclusion, mm-hmm. okay, to get away from it all, to get away from other people, that we don't want, in fact, the cops at the door and uh, our mother-in-law in our ear, that we want to be off by ourselves so that we can actually find a safe place that we know is safe with wisdom. We can look around and say, Yep, this is a safe place. With that knowledge now, we can practice as if it's in a safe place. And so your typical park bench and your typical big city park with your typical bank robbers and all of that is not necessarily a safe place. Okay. But a retreat center is a safe place, by and large. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so getting ourselves into a safe place is is, uh, one of the requirements for the very beginner. Once we get going, once we begin to see clearly what is wholesome and not wholesome, then we can find uh, easier wholesome places to remain, even in the face of unwholesome, because we're now secluded from it. We need to seclude ourselves physically from it first to get away from it all so that we can practice being in wholesome places so we can practice over and over again never mind that thought that's the thought of the past aha i see you you're just a past thought let me come back and be in the present moment let me come back and take a deep breath and tell myself everything's okay i don't need that Mm it's okay so the key ingredients of the meditation is not so much of the posture of sitting on the floor that you can sit on a couch or a chair or whatever but you do want to sit upright so that the chest will be open and available for breathing so just sitting up correct once you do that uh also if you're sitting without a backing for the uh for the back then if the, ba- uh, the body is bent, then gravity is going to be pulling it over, causing stress here. But if you're sitting up straight, then gravity is going to be pulling your front straight down. And the Buddha figured that out. That's why he says to sit upright, to sit straight, because that's ultimately more satisfying, is ultimately more satisfactory, less back pain. So that's another ingredient is to sit up straight to so make sure that we can breathe well. But what posture we're sitting in is not important, cross-legged or whatever like that. But that's just a natural way of sitting. In fact, you know enough about Cambodian people to know that they do a lot of sitting on the floor. Yeah. So they know know how to do it. Westerners, they don't know how to sit on the floor. Mm Mm-hmm. You may be in between you may in fact sit on the floor with your uh with your family and friends, and therefore you can already sit on the floor so there's no problem for it. but other people who have no family sitting on the floor the whole family sits on furniture so they sit on furniture too all the time, then they don't even know how to sit on the floor mm-hmm. and their ankles hurt and their knees hurt. <laughs> their <butt hurts. laughs> But the posture is not so important as the important part is is that you're sitting at ease. Mm -hmm. That the posture is easy and comfortable, stable, easy to maintain. So that's what we need to think about the posture. The other one is to remember to breathe in long, deep, easy breaths and keeping the mind focused on that. But the most important job is to make sure that the thoughts that we're having I hold thoughts, mostly about what we're doing right now. So we begin to note long, deep in breath. Note the body's changing. Noting the rising and the falling. Noting being relaxed. Noting being in the moment. Also noting seeing the cloth on the, uh, the the touch of the cloth, or the touch of the air, the breeze on the body. In fact, the whole body uh, as we grow up. We go from the, the little child who is overly sensitive to the body. I mean, the child just falls down or does little things, and then all of a sudden they start crying and screaming in pain because the little baby is very sensitive to touch. Mm-hmm. But over time, we start ignoring that. So by the time that we're an adult, we live in the body, but we're not taking in and paying much attention to what the body is trying to tell us. The, the practice of anapanasati, the practice of mindfully breathing and, and uh, tracking what's happening with the breath and the body and also beginning to watch what we're doing with our hands and whatnot, then we begin to wake up to being in the here now with the body. That are the number one reason why we know we are here now is because this body is here now. Yeah. And so all the sensory input and all of that that goes along with that is part of being here now. So paying attention to what's going on with our senses is wholesome. Thinking about the past or the future is unwholesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we have actually done all of the things now. We have right uh, view, uh, right sati, to wake up and look uh right uh view in order to see what's going on correctly then we have right effort to take deep breaths and to take the right effort to remove unwholesome thoughts and replace them with wholesome thoughts and after we do that for while we begin to get the attitude that this is nice i really like this and we can do it yeah And pretty soon you get to the point of, no matter how obstructed the mind gets, no matter how many hindrances get in there, I can get them back out again and come back to this present moment. Mm -hmm. So, this is the way you practice. I would recommend that you do this several times a day. Mm -hmm. Most... Most people think that they want to have one long sitting meditation. Maybe they'll sit 45 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half of whatnot like that. But a much better way of thinking about it is, is that the mind gets tired. Yes. And, the, and the, the attention span for most people is about 20 minutes. So we should practice this within that attention span because when the mind gets dull and foggy, it's no longer uh, as sharp and much more likely to go into hindrances, uh, dullness, uh, uh restless mind, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's better to practice three or four times a day, four times, six times a day for 10 to 15 minutes, just to sit down, open your eyes or close your eyes. It doesn't matter. And just start monitoring your breathing and monitoring your thoughts. What are you thinking about? What are you thinking about? Ah, that's an unwholesome thought. Out it goes. Let's have a wholesome thought. So practice it that way. Okay. Okay. Yes. Do you have any questions about this? Um, yeah, um, in particular, the the hindrance of um, sloth and torpor is well, something you that you do not have so much of that if you practice for shorter periods of time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay now if you have torpor within the first 15 minutes then that means that you need to breathe more mm-hmm. the other kind of torpor is when the mind gets really tired because it's been working for a long time and then yeah. we could take a break get the mind off of uh whatever we're on uh and uh, and in fact part of the reason why people get uh, tired in meditation is because they're working too hard. Mm -hmm. And so taking a break from working too hard and let the mind rest is actually correct Anasana, Anasana practice so that we don't get tired. Yeah. Okay, I would try that. All right. Make sure that you're breathing well because that's the first sign of being tired practicing too long is another sign of being tired working too hard at it that's another sign mm-hmm. okay yes all right so we'll talk to you later okay thank you we'll very see much in a couple you. Of days. excellent right. Ovia it's really good to see you thank i really you. enjoy our conversations you're you're going to do it thank you
1: thank you very excellent.
0: much <laughs> okay, bye-bye. And then I say bye.